Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from bearmarriage.com, where we like to talk about everything healthy, evidence-based, and biblical for your marriage and your sex life. And it is the end of September, which means it is the end of our marriage misdiagnosis month. We have been talking on the blog and a little on the podcast too about some of the ways that Christian marriage advice can sometimes misdiagnose what the real problem is, and then in so doing, they give the wrong solution. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at sexual misdiagnosis. And I've had this in my mind, I've wanted to do this for a while, is I have been wondering, what is it that people are actually hearing in their churches about sex. Not just what are we reading in books, because we've analyzed all the books, right? You know that, just read The Great Sex Rescue. But what are people actually hearing in church from their pastors? And I get sent stuff all the time um, by people, here's my hus- here's my pastor's sermon from last week, he talked about sex, it was terrible. And you know, it's a pastor of like a hundred, a church of 150, and I just, I don't want to beat up on that pastor. I don't want to analyze that sermon. It just doesn't seem fair somehow. But I did want to tackle this, and I was trying to figure out what to do. Well, uh, I was sent an Instagram Live by a megachurch pastor in Texas, where he and his wife sat down and talked about sex. And I thought, you know, this is a really good one to analyze because, first of all, he's a megachurch pastor. And so he does have a lot of people in his congregation. He's someone who's active on social media. So he's he's already putting himself out there. This isn't me just spying on your church. This is someone who's put it up on Instagram and is promoting it. But the other reason is someone that we are kind of familiar with, uh, Josh Howerton, uh, who's at Lake Point Church in Dallas, Texas. We talked about him on the podcast a few weeks ago where we shared some instances of him plagiarizing. And we talked about him last spring where he had misrepresented research, and he claimed that evangelical, conservative, complementarian uh, women have the best sex lives and those couples have the best marriages. And we showed how that was actually a misrepresentation of the research, and it was much more nuanced than that. Um, He has not handled any of those criticisms well, and he's just doubled down. And so I thought, okay, it's really, really awkward to to look at an individual pastor, but maybe this is someone that we could do because honestly, this is something that he did do better than those other things. <laughs> and so here's we might be able to get just a different a, a different um, perspective. And of course, also because this is the last Thursday of the month, we do like to do podcasts that might be of more interest to some of our male listeners. And hey, we thought you might be interested in the sexual misdiagnosis and not just the marriage misdiagnosis. And perhaps that's stereotypical of me too. My bad. Um, before we get to that, I just do want to do a shout out again to our patrons. We appreciate them so much. We have a, a group of people who support us, um, some for as little as $5 a month, some for much more than that. They're part of an uh, exclusive Facebook group. They get unfiltered podcasts. They get merch depending on, on their subscription level. But you know, their money is what enabled us to write She Deserves Better, our new book that's coming out in the spring. Because you know, our royalties are split three ways. We did not have the funds to be able to dedicate the time and energy into that book. We would not have been able to do it without their support. And even the stats for The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex the money helped fund Joanna doing the stats for us. So our patrons are funding some really important stuff that we wouldn't be able to do without them. So we just want to say thank you to them um, and let you know that when you support us on Patreon, 
Uh, when you leave a tip in our tip jar in my store, when you buy our courses or our merch, like some of the things that are hanging on the wall behind me, our Be a Biblical Woman merchandise, you know, set boundaries like Vashti, win battles like jail. <laughs> when you support us with that, it, it helps this podcast and blog keep going. And so now I would like to talk about our sexual misdiagnosis. Rebecca, my daughter, Rebecca Lindenback, is going to lead us through this discussion because she's been the one who has analyzed this Instagram live. And so Rebecca and my husband, Keith, are now going to join me and I will let Rebecca take it from here. First of all, I want to talk about the idea of pastors talking about sex in the first place. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like the pastors and their pastors and pastors wives getting together to give, hey, here's how to have yeah. great sex. Because we talk a lot about, you know, authority and power differentials in terms of pastors and the average congregant. So terms mm -hmm. of how you can be like spiritually abusive, you can be manipulative. That's why pastor, uh, like clergy sex abuse is sex abuse and not just an affair. Right. Right. The problem is, this is a really tricky one because the congregation, the elders board also hire the pastor. Mm -hmm. So in what other job situation would it be appropriate for your bosses mm -hmm. to tell you, you have to share details about how people should be having sex and talk about sex in front of your coworkers, in front of your bosses, in front of everyone out there who's hiring you, and you're gonna go and put, you and your spouse, mm -hmm. are gonna go put some of your most uh, intimate details of your life on the internet. When would that not be considered sexual harassment in the workplace? Yeah. Like genuinely, <laughs> no, and I, I genuinely mean this. I think yeah. it is incredibly unfair, because pastors go to seminary. Mm -hmm. They don't go, they don't have masters in psychology with a focus in sexual therapy practices, mm -hmm. right? Like they are not educated in the research in this. The only thing they have is their theological framework, which is fair to talk about the theology of sex in the pulpit, perfectly mm -hmm. fair, but then their own personal experience. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of pastors have like the least amount of personal experience among sexually active people. And so everyone knows who they're talking about. Yes. Right? Like <laughs> this is incredibly inappropriate on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And and I, I want to say that first and foremost, I think that this is actually a breach of ethics to ask a pastor to talk about sex in terms of like how sex works, how to make sex feel good all that kind of stuff when you're also not as a church paying for them to have education mm -hmm. in the research behind this and equipping them to do that because you are asking them to do something that would be sexual harassment in any other job um, situation. Yeah, and the spouse is not an employee of the church usually. No, so, but the yeah. spouse can't say no because if the spouse says no, then that looks bad on the pastor. Right. So this is again, where it's like, I'm not negating how much power pastors have over the average congregant. I'm just also saying that pastors are at a really, really weird power mm -hmm. struggle with the people like the elders board, the deacons board, whatever you want to call it in your church. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just want to say that first and foremost. Yeah. And I also think, you know, like Keith and I, we've spoken at marriage conferences for years now. Yeah. <laughs> and we always did the sex talk. Yeah. Pretty much always for 17 years, every conference we talked at, and we would, we would be matched with different couples all almost, you know, we, we, we would do the rounds. We'd have yeah. different people who spoke. We always did the sex talk. And the reason was because nobody else wanted to do it. And these were people who talked about marriage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like these were people who would get up in front and tell you all about their marriage, but people didn't want to do the sex talk. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is I'm a doctor, right? And so the way a doctor approaches things is very clinical and it's about, you know, what do most people experience? Our automatic assumption is to talk about the issue yes. and all the ways that that issue manifests and shows itself. Mm -hmm. A pastor, the very nature of their job is to be personal, to connect, to talk about what they've personally experienced. Mm -hmm. So when a doctor talks about sex, when yeah. a pastor talks about sex, it's just going to be a different thing. And it's just not fair for the pastor to be put in a position where they have to talk about sex yeah. 
in the way they're used to talking about things, which is about personal experience and all that kind of stuff. It would be much healthier to have a much more detached sort of mm-hmm. clinical way of looking at it. Well, and they kept on saying throughout the thing, like, we're being really vulnerable here, guys. You shouldn't have to be vulnerable yeah. when you're talking about sex in front of other people. Yeah. Like, it's always it's always a little bit awkward. Like, I mean, it was a bit of a learning curve to start talking about things like clitoris and orgasm and all that kind of stuff publicly, of course, because of the discomfort of just those words, mm-hmm. not because I'm personally being yeah. vulnerable. And I think this that just encapsulates, encapsulates a really big, well, I'm genuinely a justice issue on on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the other issue with couples, too, is often you'll get one person who's really comfortable talking about yeah. it and one person who isn't. And the person who's really comfortable may really, really, really want to do this. You know, I mean, that's yeah. kind of, we had to start. <laughs> 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 I'm relating very much to this. <laughs> but with us, it wasn't about sex particularly. Yeah, yeah. It was just talking in general. Yeah. But, you know... Um, we work through that, et cetera, and you decide. You but you have to work through it. But you have to work through it. For those of you who are new to the blog, we always joke about how, like, I was just doing my regular job as a pediatrician one day, and Sheila came along and said, hey, how would you like to come and talk about all the intimate details, details of our marriage, you know? Yeah, and exactly. Like, yeah, so that's what we joke about all the time. Yeah, and so, and so we do need to be cognizant of the spouse who's the least comfortable should get to have a veto in this exactly consent matters in everything (laughs) in everything consent matters so let's get into it i want to say first of all we're going to talk about this more later on Mm -hmm. but this had the best caveats for abuse porn use everything like that that we have ever seen yeah i was really really impressed yeah we don't we aren't going to share the full quotes about porn but in essence he was saying like listen not all guys use porn if you're using porn that is on you he even said about how there's these horrible teachings that like in essence like it's okay where your eyes wander as long as you're you know drinking at home kind of thing like like this idea that you know Mm -hmm. guys can get turned on by porn then just take it out on their wife is not okay which is completely opposite from what we hear in many christian spaces and so i'm Mm -hmm. really really happy to hear that we do want to actually play you what he said about coercion because uh we we want to talk about it yeah so here's that one thing to keep in mind is that we don't weaponize uh physical and um intimacy and you can Sex. do that yeah, we, yeah. Sorry. by yeah. you can do that by either withholding or demanding it, and so making yeah. sure that yeah. you're not doing either one of those things. Yeah, can I just hop in there? You know, Janet talked about two things. So she's a, she's talking to the women. Let me talk to the men. You, you know, uh, intimacy and sex and marriage can be weaponized in two ways: um, withholding. Now I'm mad at you, and so like you know, you're in the doghouse for a couple weeks, um, or men. Um, particularly wicked, uh, honestly, emotionally manipulative, dare I say abusive in some ways, men can sometimes like leverage Bible verses to try to demand uh, women to be, uh, wives to be physically intimate with them um, in ways that they're not ready to. And just very frankly, like, bro, if you're doing that, I got no words for how far you're missing the target. Uh, You know, the whole goal of this is to have a a relationship of love and service to each other. Mm -hmm. If you're weaponizing Bible verses to try to coerce your wife into intimacy, demanding something angrily, like, bro, again, I have no words for how off the mark you are. Totally inappropriate. And every time you do that, you are eroding the exact trust and vulnerability that a relationship needs to flourish sexually. So, yes, no weaponizing. Uh, no weaponizing. 
either way, withholding or demanding. Yeah. Now, I want to say the good parts is they said, they didn't just say, don't rape your wife. They said demanding things. They said coercing and things she's not ready for. Like, they actually gave examples of what coercion was. Yeah. So that was really, really good. The bad thing is that they're equating withholding and demanding. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you can't get arrested for not having sex with someone. Okay? Like, rape and not raping someone are not equal, okay? Like, not raping someone, sorry, not having sex with someone and then raping someone are not the same. Mm -hmm. They are not the same at all. And this Mm -hmm. is something that we do see quite often in Christian Mm -hmm. spaces. So I don't want to be too harsh on Josh for this because he was so good about coercion. And he really didn't, like, rail on women who were withholding. Yeah. He really didn't. Um, But I just want to say as an aside, like, if you are someone who says, yeah, you can, you can... Uh, be manipulated with sex two ways. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You can be a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then there are libido differences. And we can talk about that differently, right? And yeah. there are obviously some women who withhold sex to punish their partner, but you have to ask why. Because in yes. our study, a lot of times we found that women who are in sexless marriages or marriages where they're very sexually manipulative, there's also things like porn use, like abuse, like like there's all sorts of other horrible things going on. Mm-hmm. So we have to be very, very careful when we say that withholding sex is the same as like, you know, raping someone. Yeah, exactly. And the answer isn't just to stop withholding. The answer is to figure out what the issue is. Exactly. The answer is to stop raping. Whereas the answer is to stop raping your wife. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Yes. No. So I just, I did want to say that, but like that, that major caveat to his coercion thing, yeah. but that's only one of the sections where he talked about coercion. He talked about it a couple of times in this yeah. Instagram live. And honestly, like it was just so refreshing to see someone talk about it well. Yeah. This is so yeah. good because... You know, exactly. People talk all the time about these verses and they use 1 Corinthians 7 and as a weapon. And I, it was great to hear him use weaponize. Yes. Um, because because it's that's not the point of those verses. And to see someone in the evangelical church saying that was really refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Because that's not the viewpoint that most evangelicals are saying. Yeah. Talking about another viewpoint that's not normal, he also had a fantastic little diatribe that he went on about the gatekeeping message that girls are told before yeah, they're married. Yeah, it almost sounded like he read the Great Honestly, between too. those two things, I genuinely <laughs> wonder if Josh has read GSR. Yeah. I genuinely do, and I want to say huge props for that. Like, if he has been looking into our research and and up and like trying to update what he's saying and stuff, like, I want to say huge props to Josh. We need pastors to be willing to learn. And this kind of stuff that he's saying would never have been said five years ago. Yeah. Like, and so I really do think that he's learning and growing and I want to give him props where props is due. That's fantastic. Yeah. So here's what he said about gatekeeping. Hey guys. So earlier we were saying, uh, you know, it's not a healthy situation in marriage when it feels like the husband's always playing offense and the, the wife is always playing defense. Well, hey, don't train your relationship to function that way while you're dating. So here's what's not cool. What's not cool is telling your Christian girlfriend, well, man, boys will be boys and my desires are really big, so you're going to have to be the police to make sure I don't cross any boundaries. Nope. Like, bro, it's your job as the leader of that hope, you know, potentially future marriage and It's your job to exercise spiritual leadership by you being the one that owns walking in godliness in that dating relationship. And ladies, really honestly, if you're dating somebody who refuses to respect uh, sexual and physical boundaries, that's not the guy for you. Like find some guy that will respect your future marriage because he's telling on himself right now. 
Now, I personally don't like the whole leadership yeah, focus, yeah. Yeah. but I really respect the internal consistency. If you're going to be a church that believes in male leadership, then you should believe in male leadership. Yes. <laughs> like, I want to say that, okay? Yeah. I really respect that, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, so you don't, I, you don't need to be a leader to be a good Christian and follow Christian teaching. Totally. Right? No, but, but like, so if you're someone who believes that men should take the initiative in leadership, then they should be taking the initiative in leadership yeah. in terms of sexual boundaries. Yes. Like, he should be the brakes. Because if you believe that one of them has to be the brakes and you're a complementarian, should be the dude. <laughs> yeah. Logically speaking. Yeah. Anyway. So we were we were happy about that. Too. Yeah, and major props to him for that. So he's saying, like, this idea that, you know, if you don't want your wife to, you know, struggle with putting on the gas when you're married, don't teach her how to put on the brakes. Again, I really wonder if you're a GSR. So yeah. those are some things that that he said that we really really liked Mm -hmm. okay like Mm -hmm. i thought were truly fantastic and can i just say one thing about that too i those are the important things like when you're talking about sex the most some of the most important things for a pastor to mention are the things that would that would qualify as abusive exactly like helping people who are in abusive relationships recognize this is not normal this is not safe and so these are the like if pastors say nothing else these are the important things to say I agree entirely. If this were normal, if this had been normal for the last 20 years, we would not be writing GSR. Yeah. We'd still be writing the orgasm course and Boosh the Libido. Yeah. And GSR. Sorry. The Great, great Sex, sex rescue. rescue. We always call it GSR among ourselves, but. Especially since we're often talking about it around rescue. a kid and we don't want to say the word sex that's in the title. Yes. Yeah. Since it's around toddlers. Yes. And no one needs a toddler in the grocery store being like, my mommy wrote the Great Sex Rescue. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes. You know, but yeah. that's that's the thing is if this had been the norm for the last 20 years, we'd be writing different books than The Great Sex Rescue. Yeah. We would have written a very different book. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about where things started to go a little bit off though. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things that did really kind of bother me when I first listened to this was that there's a misunderstanding of how Christian men can be sexually sadistic and selfish even if they are believers. Okay. Okay. So Josh says that there's like, he kind of does like the Lord liar lunatic, but like with sex, Mm -hmm. he talks about as God gift or gross or God gross or gift. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to read out um, some quotes of what he said. We're not going to play the whole clip because it's, it's in a longer thing, Mm -hmm. um, but you're free to go and watch it. But what he says is to treat sex like a God is because you have unrealistic desires and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And he said, blah, blah, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Now that was irreligious people. Religious people, sometimes who come from fundamentalist backgrounds, unhealthy religious backgrounds, they don't treat sex like a god, they treat it as gross. So Josh and Jana are presenting non-Christians as being sexually Mm -hmm. ravenous and unsatisfied, but if a Christian has sex issues, it's that they're frigid. Right. Right? So they do seem to present it as, you know, if you're a Christian, you can't be treating sex as a god because you already have a god. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen in all these Christian materials yeah. is that men are very much allowed to be unsatisfied, ultra demanding. Like they're allowed to want sex three times a day and that's portrayed as normal in books mm-hmm. like Every Man's Battle. Well, Every Man's Battle says, you know, we've talked to some women or some men who are demanding sex, you know, once, twice, even three times a day. If your husband is demanding sex more than once a day, that's a problem. And yeah. and uh, actually he used, used the word coercion. Yeah, coerced. Coer- yeah. yeah. We, if he's coercing you yeah. into sex, what... One, two, three times a day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like the idea that like, you know, it's just totally like there's no Christians out there who would be treating sex like a god. I did find a little bit problematic. But again, that is me nitpicking. I want to be very clear. There's just in the, I think that as, as pastors get more and more edgy,
educated, we'll see this happen less often. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think it's just really important to note that just because you're a Christian does not mean you have a healthy view of sex. Yeah, and the problem Absolutely. is, yeah, and the problem is then you have these wives who are then seen as frigid because they only want sex once a week. <laughs> right? And so it's right. like, so if so she it's, has it's problems. extreme, extreme thing. You're yeah. either a veganist or you're a frigid. Exactly. And there's no other dysfunction you can have exactly. besides those two. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying Josh and Janice said that in the podcast. I'm just saying that that is what this mindset leads to. Mm-hmm. And that feeds into this other part. Okay? okay. And this we actually are going to play. Jana is talking to the women mm-hmm. about how they need to prioritize their husbands. And she says this. Honestly, he needs to feel like he feels very affirmed by you when you want to be physically intimate with him. And so, like, honestly, this is something in my own life. Like, the Holy Spirit convicted me and convicted me hard that, um, I, you know, like, as a woman, I think sometimes you get so busy with everything you have going on. Everyone's busy. Everyone has a ton in your life. And so you're going throughout your days and everything's feels crazy and all that and so you get to the end of it and you're tired and you feel like you have nothing left to give and so the Holy Spirit just really convicted me that like I was being selfish and we are one flesh and I you know I can't think about just my needs or being tired like I was totally disregarding Josh's needs and that um he just revealed that to me and um that has been something that I've had to not only apologize for but walk in repentance so you show glad glad repentance glad repentance yes and and that's how you show you're repentant when you're walking in repentance and so that is something that um you know that God just kind of revealed to me so don't make your husband feel like um, you're always on defense against him. Remember, you are a team. Play some offense. Yes. Here are my thoughts that I wrote down when I heard that, okay? Okay. Is this bad advice? Not necessarily. (laughs) But it depends entirely on the context of the marriage. Right. I'm too tired. Is it because he's not pulling his weight or because life is just tiring and you just happen to have a response to libido? In that case... You might need to be told, yeah, just prioritize it, okay? Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that later. Or is sex enjoyable, so the problem really is prioritization, or is the issue that she doesn't like sex? Like, in a marriage where she has a great time, this could be okay advice. But in a marriage where sex is one-sided, this is horrendous advice. Yes. But also, what are we defining as selfish? Like, Jana said she was being selfish, and in her marriage, maybe she was. I don't know. But in other marriages, is it selfish for a mom who's, like, six weeks postpartum who says, yeah, the doctor says we can, but I just can't? Is that Mm -hmm. selfish? You know, is it selfish for a woman who is having a horrible, horrible week at work where her boss just reamed her out and she's super stressed. She comes home. She says, I just can't tonight. Mm -hmm. I had a horrible day. Is it selfish for a woman who has a headache to say I'm not in the mood, right? Like at what point is it selfishness? Is at what point is it that your wife is not a sexual vending machine and your wife is a person and that there are complications in life? And sometimes that means sex is not going to happen on demand. Right. I think what I noticed too here is they're equating needs, right? She's saying, I was prioritizing my needs instead of Josh's needs. And this is the problem is which which needs are we talking about? And I think that's what you're getting at. Because what he's experiencing, is it necessarily a need or is it a desire and a drive? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, like if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> okay? You know, the things that we most, food, we need food, we need shelter, sleep. we need sleep. Sleep is a much higher physical need than sex. Yeah. <laughs> okay? So, you know, we need, we need um, air, we need water, you know, and then, so sex is, sex is somewhere far above that. I just wonder sometimes when we're saying he has needs and I have needs, 
are they necessarily equivalent? And for some couples, they are. Yeah, but, I think that the reason they don't answer that question in this live is because, frankly, they're not horrible people. Yeah. <laughs> and they have an awesome marriage. I yeah. genuinely think that's why. I think yeah. they didn't answer it because they likely, it likely was just an issue of, like, and, and, and we don't ever talk about individuals like mm-hmm. personal lives. The problem is that they're using their they're, personal lives as the examples in here. So let's just, I just want to say this because I, I want to make sure people know we're not trying to say that like Josh is a horrible husband or any of these things. I think looking at the Instagram live and what they said about their own lives, it sounds like they were just a couple who they got married and probably res- based on the research that I've read and how things ended up for them, probably just took them a while to figure out how to make sex work um, mm-hmm. and pl- maybe be, be pleasurable for both of them. And so as a result, you know, maybe she's just got a really responsible libido and they enjoy each other they have a great time but she does need to prioritize mm-hmm. right and that's genuinely the life-giving advice to them because if she prioritizes he's patient he's not demanding nothing like that but then they have more fun they're more connected they're having a mm-hmm. fantastic time they can have jokes and laugh and they feel connected and lovey-dovey and all that's that's lovely mm-hmm. but just like what you're saying is what if it's not an mm-hmm. issue of just oh i will i would rather watch netflix right now yeah. What if it's an issue of, I have twins? <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what we hear so often is this, she is tired. Yes. But, but he, he needs, needs sex. sex. Yeah. And what we don't hear is, but why is she tired? Yeah. And is she tired because she is taking on way too many, way too much of the household duties and the mental load? Yes. It's interesting because earlier in the, th- in the talk, he talked about how you, we can't weaponize scripture, mm-hmm. right? We can't use scripture to, to coerce people into sex. So I'm just a bit puzzled now because she feels like her not wanting to have sex more was a sin in some way that she needed to repent from. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like, why can't, why does it have to be a repentance thing? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't it just be a, I realized this wasn't good for our marriage and I felt like I could do better and I felt like we could be closer if I prioritized this. Yeah. But instead it was like, I'm being repented. And I think it's because, and this is my theory, I think a lot of women still have this idea in their heads. If I don't provide my husband with sex whenever he wants it, I am in sin. Yeah. Because it's been preached so vehemently so it's such for such a long time and so, you know, consistently in the church that women still internalize it. So when we say, hey, be free, women, they say, oh, okay, but they don't really feel it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they still feel, oh my gosh, I should be having more sex, you know, and, yeah. and, and that, that sort of thing. And I just think that, you know, we should be talking in terms of what's healthy yeah. uh, in these areas. And I think that that's, that's the only thing I would say. And I, I don't, again, I think, I think it sounds like they're both just trying to take care of each other and be good loving spouses to each other uh, you know but I just think that uh, it might be healthy to talk in those terms rather than as a sin repentance kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah I agree overall one of the things that kind of really comes into into play with what you're saying about how you know women are told in essence like this is something that men need and you're doing you're doing something bad if you're depriving him because this is a man's thing in essence is that the entire live does kind of give the impression that and this is my impression, listening, like like reading through the transcript, studying what they said, was that sex is something that men naturally prioritize because they're just better at this. <laughs> you know, like there's, there, the, here's, I'll just, I'll just show you what, what Jana said, okay? Jana said, so um, if that's you and you're kind of just like, you get to the end of the day and you have nothing left, one thing I would encourage you with is to re-examine your priorities because your relationship with the Lord, that is first. And then your husband is next and then your kids and then you're the rest of your family and then everybody else. And so many of the times we, meaning women, are letting our priorities just get out of place and misplaced. And so you get to the end of the day and you have nothing left to give him. And so re-examine your priorities and put them in the right place. 
Mm-hmm. So, so the only thing I would add to that is, so if you're strapped and you have nothing left to give, maybe talk to your husband about ways that he can be more helpful exactly. to you know, the, the household. And, and, or, or, you know, or maybe you're taking on too much or, you know, like maybe he is really doing his share, but as a couple, you're do- you just have too much in your plate together. And yeah, maybe each kind of, child doesn't need to be know? an eight extracurriculars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As opposed to like just make sure that you have more to give. And I, I just want to say that there are times when your kids come first. Oh, completely. Like, I, like I, I've never really liked this God first, husband second, I love you, babe. Kids, kids. Oh, yeah, no, last, I, I But, like, you when you've got a yeah. newborn, that baby needs to eat. And, and, and as the mom, you tend to be the one who is feeding that child. And so if that child has a need to eat, that is going to be like more important to right now than yeah. what your needs are well and the other unpopular yeah, and, one and if, if you're talking to me about a very important thing in our relationship and our grandchild is about to jump off the sofa i'm gonna <laughs> stop talking to you about the grandchild, right like it's not that i love the grandchild more you know it's, right. it's it's like the situation demands what's most important at that time well, and if you if you have a kid who's been sick for a week and so yeah. you haven't slept for a week because you've been up with a kid who's puking in the middle of the night and you've been changing sheets etc yeah, then yeah. yeah you're going to be too tired and at the end of the day you don't prioritize your spouse right <laughs> well and, and the uh, really unpopular one that i've heard from from people as well is that people in the name of prioritizing their spouse will let their children know that they have to stay in their rooms because mom and dad have to have sex mm-hmm. that has actually happened to people Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, and this tepi- like this typically happens and, and it scars the kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like if you cannot have sex without your children knowing about it, mm-hmm. like don't have sex. Yeah. Okay. Like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I think like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues here, but my, my thing that I was thinking too is this is why talking from personal experience is such a problem because it may yeah, very yeah. well be that Josh and Jana in their relationship, like there may be not really a mental load inequality issue. You know, there are relationships where there's not. They might genuinely have this kind of figured out. And so for them, it's like, yeah, you know what? You're both putting your all in and she just needs to prioritize it because there's nothing more you could do, right? Right. But we know from research, this is why research is so important, <laughs> we know from research that they would be in the vast minority of couples. Yes. Yeah. The vast minority of couples um, in their, their age group, in their religious demographic, in all these different things. Yeah. Well, if you, just look, if you just look at the stats, women do more housework than men. Yeah. Right? And if both people are working, yeah. women still do more housework than men. Yeah. So in general, in most marriages, mm-hmm. if the wife is too tired all the time, one of the big problems could be that he's not doing enough around the house. Exactly. That, that's just statistically yes. mm-hmm. highly likely. Yeah. And yet this Instagram doesn't address that because that's not their lived experience. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. But it's not fine to not address it because the vast majority of other people's lived experience will be that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is what I really have a problem with the whole prioritize your husband um, dialogue is that, yeah, obviously, don't you think women want to prioritize their relationships over cleaning a toilet? Like, don't you think that women would <laughs> rather spend, have a date night with their husbands than stress out about whether or not the soccer uniforms are going to be dry in time for the like tournament tomorrow morning? Like, don't yeah. you think women want to not prioritize the meal plan? Like, it, it just, it's just one of those things where this is not something where it's a priority issue for a lot of people. It's just reality someone has to meal plan because you don't have the budget to order out every day you know someone has to figure out who's gonna make sure that all the clothes are clean because if you don't then you're not gonna have the uniforms in time and it always goes back to the wife yeah in the vast no no what i'm saying is in these marriages yeah in these marriages it's but most of the time it does 
That what I was gonna say is always goes back to the wife in these marriages where there's mental load inequality, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what tends to happen. You yeah. know, like the studies are really clear on this. And again, this is not an indict an indictment on Josh and Jana. This is an indictment on the idea that we can speak to these things from personal experience instead of from research. Yeah, and I, again, I I just want to echo that too. Like everyone's always talking about how tired women are. And how they don't prioritize their husbands. Why does no one ever ask why women are so tired? Uh, why men are like, tired? Like, do they <laughs> think, do they think that 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 we all want to be tired? I I don't. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. Yes. Like, why instead of asking why are women so tired, why aren't we asking why men aren't? Yes. Like that's that's my question. Oh, say that again. Yeah. If instead of asking why are women so tired, why aren't we asking why men aren't? And I'm gonna just jump in here because you're gonna get the people saying, "Oh, you're bashing men again. You're bashing men again." You know what? If in your relationship you know, he, he is doing just as much as she is in yeah. terms of the mental and stuff, then this doesn't apply to you. And exactly. so, you know, we're not saying that, that mm-hmm. me, all men need to do more work. Mm-hmm. We're saying you need to address this because statistically, women bear a disproportionate load. And yeah. if that's the case in your family, as it is in most families, you need to address that. Yeah. And you need to be open and honest about that. And if it's not the case for you, then you don't need to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But there's but this whole, you're bashing men. No, we're talking about a problem that exists in many relationships. If it exists in yours, deal with it. If it doesn't, then don't. But don't say we're bashing men. We're yeah. just saying yeah. this is a problem that happens. So I guess my other, my question going in with this is, which is the same what we're just saying, is the idea, it's very clear what a wife prioritizing her husband looks like, again, mm-hmm. according to this life. A wife prioritizing her husband means having sex even when she's tired. What does a husband prioritizing his wife look like? Mm-hmm. And that's not answered. That's not answered. Men are not told to prioritize their wives. Men are told to be emotionally available for their wives, to be like flirty, to be kind, to be loving, and all really, really good advice. But it's so that they can get sex. <laughs> like <laughs> in the live, genuinely, this happens next. So what they talk about is how they say men and women are really different beings and they do the whole typical thing that we've, we've said before, like you said before it too, where, you know, women need to feel loved so that they want to have sex and men have sex and then they're all feel lovey and emotional and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? And they say this is just And how... I don't teach that anymore, by no, the way. No, no, yeah. no. I, I took it out of the new edition of The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Jana says, I think one thing women need to know is that physical intimacy leads to more emotional intimacy for men. And Jana says, it's kind of the opposite for women a lot of times. So we need the emotional before we want the physical. But just keep that in mind for your spouse, for your husband, there, that a lot of times he needs that physical and it leads him to be more emotional or to the emotional intimacy. And this actually really does bother me. Because here's the thing. We all know having an orgasm leads to certain hormones being released that makes you feel real lovey-dovey. Okay? Mm -hmm. That happens for both men and women. This whole idea that men are emotionally available after, emotionally lovey-dovey after sex in a way that women aren't only is true if a woman is not orgasming. I want to make that very clear. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is only true if a woman is not orgasming. Yeah. Okay? If a woman is orgasming, she's also like, ooh, afterwards, right? She (laughs) wants to snuggle. She wants to fall asleep and drool on him afterwards, right? Like, that's, that's where you're at. You're, like, totally out of it. But if she's not orgasming, then he gets all emotionally available afterwards, and, and she doesn't feel that emotional... Mm-hmm. surge in the same way right and, and so and so when she feels emotionally close to him it's in other times and so yes. she doesn't associate sex with emotional closeness exactly because she's not getting the hormonal buzz that he's getting yeah and, and i'm not saying that, that hormonal buzz when she sees him you know doing with something really sweet with or her kids like, or like that. sending her the flirty and, text messages exactly. and, and so this reinforces this idea that we have in the christian yes. church in the evangelical church that 
women are emotional yeah. and not physical in terms of their sexuality and men are physical yeah. and not emotional in terms of their sexuality. Exactly. And again, and I'm not saying ridiculous. and I'm not saying that about Josh and Janet themselves. No. We want to be very clear here. We're no. not saying that, but we're saying this kind of thing is the idea that emotional like emotion feelings of emotional closeness comes after sex for men is because of orgasm it's not because of t- it's not because they have a penis right it's right. because of orgasm mm-hmm. and it's just that men are almost doubly as off- like they almost doubly um as often orgasm reliably with sex. And so yes. they're much more likely for us to think, well, then men just must be this way. No, it's that orgasms make people this way. Right. <laughs> and men are more likely to have yeah. them. But, but also too, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you tell women, you don't really care about the physical aspect of sex. Yes. You only care about the emotional aspect of sex. And you tell men, God's designed you to not care about the emotional aspect of sex. Yes. Only the physical aspect of sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to make people who think that way. Yeah. And, and there are guys out there who still think that showing emotion, crying, you know, being emotionally available, those kind of things are unmasculine. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, and with, and, uh, and a guy who's a, who's a taker, who's takes charge and, you know, in a bedroom, he just, you know, that, that, yeah. that's, that's the masculine. It's like, you know, being a tender lover in the, in the bedroom is not masculine in yeah. these people's mindset. And that's ridiculous. I mean, like, look at the song of Solomon. It's it, like, it, this is an emotional and physical experience and that's what it's meant to be and we need to stop all this garbage about men are this way and women are that way because God made them that way mm-hmm. it's because our societies made them that way yeah. and, and that's clearly evident it's not because God made us that way yeah, yeah. And the other thing that makes us even worse mm-hmm. is when we think about how like like the hormones play into this right what does this actually mean? So okay. men have to be physical first and then they become emotional okay? So mm-hmm. they have so if they want to do the right thing according to Josh and Jana here, men have to choose to be emotionally available so then they can have sex. Okay, so you choose to be emotionally available, whereas women have to choose to be physical so they can have an emotionally available husband. So let's actually talk about how this works. Because if you're a man and you're like, okay, you know what, I'm getting frustrated. It's been like two weeks and we've been busy and things have been happening, but I'm just gonna love my wife, and then I'll and and we'll we'll have sex when we have sex, that's fine because I'm just gonna be the better man here, right? And you're super emotionally available, you do date nights, there's no expectation, you're just trying to kind of get back to square one, okay? okay? And then you have sex. And then all of a sudden the emotional isn't really a chore anymore. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? We found our mojo again and she's feeling all loved and you know what, sex is great for her too. And you're both, you back on your mojo, you're having sex every, however often is normal for you. You have sex, you feel lovey-dovey, you have sex, you feel lovey-dovey, you have sex, you feel lovey-dovey. How's that how it is for the man, okay? Okay. Let's talk about for the woman. Mm-hmm. So the woman is not feeling lovey-dovey. Mm-hmm. And so she knows, according to stuff like this, that being emotional and being and deciding to like focus on the relationship is not going to lead to, to the lovey-dovey she wants. She has to have sex. So she has sex. And he feels all lovey-dovey, but she's one of the 20% of women who reports the only real emotion they feel after sex is feeling used. Mm-hmm. So does she feel lovey-dovey? Mm-hmm. So she's had sex. He feels fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's had sex with her. He's on top of the world. And she feels used. And so then, you know, he feels really close to her. Does she feel close to him? But then she has to keep deciding to have sex in order to try to get what she wants, which is an actual close, intimate relationship. So he gets to be pacified by putting in the bare minimum of effort of just being a basic relationship person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Whereas she has to actively force herself to do something that she doesn't want to do in some cases. Again, not saying Josh and Jana's case. I'm just saying that in some cases of the women who are listening to this, these are men who are not abusive, who are not using porn. It's just that sex has never felt good for her. It's just mm -hmm. always been something that she feels incredibly resentful to God about because she feels like she was promised this thing. She didn't get it. He has never really understood how foreplay works. They've never figured out how to make her orgasm. And she keeps on hearing over and over and over again, all I, she thinks all I want mm -hmm. is to have a happy marriage and I want to have my like I want to be mm -hmm. fun together and she has to keep having sex that makes her feel horrible to have him pay her even the most basic modicum of relationship like courtesy mm -hmm. yeah so instead of saying you know like if you why if you don't want sex and he wants it all the time he needs to like be nice to you and you need to try and give it more often yeah right? mm -hmm. if, if instead of that how about we said if he wants sex all the time and you don't want it wise why don't you actually talk about why you don't want it Mm -hmm. And why don't we work on you wanting it more? Like, exactly. Not, not work on you doing it more. Exactly. But work on you wanting it more. Yeah, because there's a fundamental difference between how they're presenting men and women here. They're presenting this difference in men and women as if it's something that's just normal and healthy and just a difference we have to live with when it's not normal and healthy. In okay. essence, what, what this live is saying is that women would say something like, I don't want to have sex right night right now. I just want to catch up, feel close, have a date, all that kind of thing. I need to reconnect with you first. Like mm -hmm. that's healthy. Yeah. Versus what they're saying men are designed as is to say something like, I don't want to catch up and spend time with you tonight. I just want to have sex with you. But then if you do, I'll want to spend time with you. Yeah, but that's not healthy. <laughs> that's not healthy. Yes. It's not healthy and that's not a masculine thing. I'm not saying they're saying men should say that. I'm saying that there are men who are not necessarily abusive, who are incredibly emotionally immature, mm -hmm. who would say things like that to mm -hmm. their wives. Or, or not even necessarily incredibly emotionally mature, but just haven't really been taught. Because to be honest, we are not taught. Yeah healthy ways we're taught yeah. that men are all like this and women are all like that and all this kind of nonsense and so people try to live out these scripts rather than mm -hmm. just doing what their heart is telling them because i think the heart of most christian men if they're not having sex with regular their wives their natural heart would be to say what's going on like, yeah how can i make this better for you how can i like why is this something you don't want but instead we're taught be a man take the lead you know, yeah. fix the problem. And that's, that's, that makes the problem worse. It does, because here's exactly what you're talking about. That's, that's how it should be. It should be like, hey, this is obviously a problem. There's a canary in the coal mine. But right. instead, this is what often happens. And Josh actually gives an example from his own marriage. Okay, and again, I don't like talking about examples from their own marriage, but he has literally no examples other than from his own marriage, okay? <laughs> so even though, remember earlier, Josh had said that it was only non-Christians who have their identity tied up in their sexuality, he then says this. There were times earlier in our marriage where we were trying to figure out like intimacy and, you know, mismatched, you know, levels of desire, that kind of thing. And when that happened, like it was, it was deep, this, just to be really vulnerable with you, it was really emotional for me. And it caught me and Jan off guard because even though my head knew that it wasn't, my heart felt like I was experiencing like a deep personal rejection from my wife. And, you know, when when you're always playing offense and she's always playing defense, it can feel humiliating, degrading, uh, you know, like a personal rejection. What I found interesting is having read that he the, the message wasn't that he had to personally repent of having his identity in sex. Mm -hmm. It was that her his wife then had to gladly repent of not prioritizing her husband. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah. So this is the whole problem is they don't see it as a canary in the coal mine. They see that as as a problem of this is a personal thing for men. Men's mm-hmm. identity is tied up in sex. And so you have to make sure that you're affirming them. They use the word affirm a lot when it comes mm-hmm. to women towards their husbands. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a natural outflow of the way that we teach in the church. Yeah, right? but even not in the church. Like, it's of course it feels rejecting to have someone not want to have sex when you want to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. we, but in the church we also say... You don't ever have sex outside of marriage. Yes. And you get married so that you will have sex whenever you want it. Yes. Because now you're married and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then she doesn't want to. And now you're trapped. You know, because here's this woman who promised and she's not delivering. And and that's the way it gets framed. And it's it's so unhealthy. And, and so many men, as I, s- I said earlier, our view of masculinity is tied into these all these things instead of who we are in Christ. I feel what Joshua's saying. Yeah. I totally do. You know, because we've talked mm-hmm. about this before too. And our early years when we started when we had you had vaginismus and we had troubles with that too i felt rejected Mm -hmm. and you weren't rejecting me but i felt rejected because the way that i've been taught and i need to learn to think differently about this and i think that that's instead of saying that's just the way men are so i naturally acted like this we need to be saying what is it about the way that we're teaching men that when their wife is in pain or has had a baby or is too tired or just is not in the right headspace tonight, that it's a rejection of them at the deepest level, as opposed to just, they just don't want to have sex tonight. Yeah. And, and, why, <laughs> and, and when I can't just be okay with that, what's wrong with me? Why don't, like, you know, why don't I go, hey, you know, like, I need to be different. I need to be, like, obviously, like, yeah, you're tired. Sure, that's no problem. Obviously, I want to, but I should be okay with not doing it. Exactly. Right? But what is it about our teaching? And I think the fundamental thing is, is we just teach that your prior, you are the man, you're the priority. If you have a need, it should be met. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to talking about two healthy people both meeting each other's needs, whatever that need is for, whether it's for physical intimacy, whether it's for emotional closeness, whatever. Whether it's for sleep. <laughs> whether it's for sleep. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. If we just talked about two healthy people trying to make each other happy, Instead of all this garbage about a man's role and a woman's role and what men are supposed to be like and what women are supposed to be like, and you're not biblical if you're not like this, all that nonsense. And we just mm-hmm. said, we love each other. We both follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus to each other. How do we do that? And I think this is what's, this is the last thing I really wanted to talk about, okay? Because this kind of goes right into it. Then I want to do some major takeaways, okay? okay? And actually talk about what the research actually does say, okay? okay? So first of all, exactly what you're saying about how it should just be two people who are trying to love each other like Christ. I think Josh and Jana were trying to say that Mm -hmm. in this live, but they could not say any actual explicit words. So we have no idea if that's actually what they meant or not. I'm going to read you a couple small things that kind of make me think that they were trying to say like, my dude, if it's not working, try your mouth or your hands. Like, I don't, like, I think they were trying to say something, but I I don't, but there's a really funny part. Um, First of all, I do want to say once again, like, I am not shaming or scolding or anything anyone for being dis- for being uncomfortable with saying explicit words online. For pity's mm-hmm. sake, it is so not in a pastor's job description to talk about orgies on in- on Instagram. That is okay. so not in the like. Mm-hmm. No one goes to seminary being like, "I'm going to help people know the word of the Lord by talking about which sex toys are okay." Like, no one goes to seminary thinking that. Okay, this is so not. This is so outside the job description. So no shade, nothing about that towards Josh and Jana for being uncomfortable with using technical terms. Okay. But there's a really funny thing at the beginning. 
of the live retalks, but this is going to be so PG-13. And if you're single, you probably don't want to watch because it might like, you know, get you thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about yet. And you don't want to stir love before it's appointed time, all that kind of stuff. So, so it's going to be PG-13? What is that? I was going to say, I don't know what 13-year-olds are supposed to, like, I think it should be rated R, right? Like, yeah. So yeah, because it's going to be PG-13 to me, that means it's going to be tame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think what, I, I agreed with his sentiment there. It's like, you know, if you're someone who's struggling to stay, you know, to, to like not have sex, like you're dating or you're engaged and you don't really, like, frankly, you know enough that you know you want it. Maybe don't spend all your time talking about sex. I understand that. But then I did find he didn't actually say anything enticing. Like it was all about prioritize and make sure you're having enough sex. So it really was PG-13. It really was PG-13. <laughs> um, and and they talk about how you should like do what works for you and what doesn't, but they don't actually use any terms. Like they don't talk mm. about like, you know, the fact that like a lot of women can only orgasm through this means of sex versus this means. They don't talk about anything like that. Well, let's again, just say it. Oh yeah, oral, women, sex. oral sex. I want to make sure I had, I couldn't remember which one it was in my head for a second. Yeah. Like, the majority of women can orgasm through oral sex, whereas the majority of women are not able to orgasm through penetrative sex alone. That's the kind of thing that you could talk about if you weren't talking from only personal experience. Because yes. again, like... <laughs> nobody wants to know. Oh my gosh, I don't want to know. Even when you guys were talking about your little thing, it was very tame. I was like, please, no, please, please, please. Don't go anywhere. Like, it's... Well, that, that's what we always talk about, like stats, right? Like Exactly. Like, like women who do reliably orgasm during sexual intercourse usually require a lot of foreplay beforehand. Right? Yes. That's a statement. You're never going to hear anything no, at all. No, please don't even go there. Don't even go there. No. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt and say, <laughs> so So they, they, what Josh and Jana do say in this about like kind of that communicating and making sure it is two people loving each other to the best of their ability is to talk about how you have to have conversations. You have to talk about it. And they advise that people, um, but they don't ever actually use terms again. So yeah. Josh uh, says to couples who are trying to communicate um, to say, hey, next time we go on a date, why don't we spend a few minutes on the drive home or something like that talking about what's working and what's not working with each other with physical intimacy. And that is about the most explicit advice that is given on sexual pleasure in the entire life um, that I could find. Okay. And it could mean I want more oral sex incorporated, or it could mean I don't like the underwear that has holes in the crotch and a mysterious stain on the butt. Like, it could be either of those, okay? Like, we... <laughs> I don't know. And this is why it's important to use terms because uh, like you said earlier, dad, women have been so trained to not speak about their needs. I think half the time they don't even know what their needs are. Exactly. And I liked, like, and they said it was really important to talk about things when you weren't in the thick of things. And I think that's entirely right. Yeah. I also think it is important to talk in the thick of things and women need permission to talk about it in the thick of things. Again, if we're going from research and not personal experience, research says the number one determinant of a female orgasm is the ability to speak up during sex. Mm -hmm. That is the number one determinant. Mm -hmm. That um, a study of 50, uh, no, thousands, was, yeah, 50 was, something thousand people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it was like 28,000 women or something. But yeah. I, I, I'll find it and I'll link it in the podcast notes. And but. I just want to say for all of you who are listening, you are having trouble with orgasm. We have an orgasm course. Yes. And please take a look at that. It's based um, in research, not based on us. <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca read all the research and it, some of it was pretty awful. And and so we incorporated it all in. There's there's an orgasm course for her that she can take. We also have an add-on module for him. Uh, for him. And we will link to that in the podcast notes. If you do reach orgasm already, yeah. but you just still never want sex, we have a boost your libido course as yeah. well. But please, if you're not reaching orgasm, don't take the libido course because libido is not your issue. Yes, which we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about later. Yes. But I think uh, I do want to give Josh one more major props. Okay. He had a joke that did make me laugh. 
mm-hmm. out loud near the end uh, to sign off he said dudes married people keep that marriage bed pentecostal lots of tongues and laying on of hands <laughs> <laughs> legit made me laugh <laughs> Good job, Josh. And that was maybe explicit. But again, it was a joke. So, like, it's hard. We just need to be able to use terms. And that's why we Mm -hmm. need to send this out to researchers versus having pastors do it. To me, my biggest takeaway from this, in terms of the larger context, is that this is an example of how when we give advice based on our situation, we do not understand that there are others who are not in our situation Mm -hmm. who this advice can totally backfire for. And I do, once again, major props for doing what most people have not done and making sure that people who have um, porn in their marriage or abuse or sexual coercion, they really were screened out in this mm-hmm. Instagram live. But yeah. even when you're only talking to like quote unquote healthy couples who might just be experiencing some dysfunction or communication mm-hmm. issues, we still have this major problem when we're going from personal experience. You know, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but is there ever a talk about when the wife has the higher drive than the husband? Oh yeah, no, they did a great job with that too. Yeah, that. they talked about that. They, they, it was a really a, t- it was a, it was a throwaway comment more mm-hmm. so, but they did mention it. Um, then they didn't then say that the husbands need to prioritize sex. They just said that it's hard for wives. Because um, like, <laughs> again, though, it's, it's this is the idea. We're going from personal experience. The personal experience that they have is exactly. not that we have men don't like sex, right? And so how do you relate to that unless you're going from a research-based perspective? Exactly. Another example of how this like personal advice can backfire is they had advice for dating and engaged couples. And I want to use this one because it's just so much more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, they said that they're really pro-short engagement. They got married four months after getting engaged and they just don't really, they don't believe in people being engaged for longer. Um, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, you know what? That worked great for them. Mm-hmm. But what about people who are getting married who are, maybe they're in their 40s and they have like an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old from previous marriages. Mm-hmm. It is unfair to those kids to be thrown into a new relationship that quickly, right? What about well, people... Well, it can be unfair. It can be, it, yeah. It, like, don't, but like don't. in a lot of times, like, or what if you like, you just met each other and you don't know each other's histories? It, it, getting married after only four months can be really unwise in those situations. Mm-hmm. There's other people who may have... Um, you know, maybe you start dating at 16. You're not getting married in four months. Like there's, there's lots of other what ifs that are not addressed by one person's personal situation. You can talk about, you know, the general principles, of course, but that example just kind of encapsulates the giant problem. Is this, this utter complete, no, this is the answer. The answer is to not be engaged for very long. And it's like, well, (laughs) not for everyone. What about school? What about jobs? What if there's different circumstances that, that can impact that? And so in the same way, the advice that the Howertons give about sex likely works for marriages like theirs, okay? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a marriage where both of them enjoy sex when it happens. You know, they don't have major mental load problems. Uh, It's just that when they first got married, things took a while to catch on. And studies have shown that if a woman has an orgasm the first time she has sex, she has the same likelihood of having a high libido as a man. If a woman does not have an orgasm the first time she has sex, she's much more likely to have a low libido. And that makes perfect sense. Your brain learns from the get-go, oh, this is something that might not do anything for me. Yeah. Versus this is a sure thing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's just what happened here. Maybe there's a situation where there's a couple where it just took them a while to figure it out. But once they did figure it out, it was great. And so the answer was priority. Mm-hmm. And this advice might work great for people in their situation. But that doesn't necessarily work for the woman who doesn't orgasm. It doesn't necessarily work for the couple who has major mental load inequalities so that it's not just that she's tired and he's tired, it's that she's tired and he's not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't work for the couple where there's other complications that are happening that are making sex just less of a priority right now. And that is the right thing. Um, it doesn't work for all those kinds of couples. And again, I'm not including abuse or porn because they actually did a really good job screening that. So I don't think it's fair to mm-hmm. give their advice to people who they did specifically explain why it's not applicable to them. Yeah. And again, I think this is this is kind of like the same thing we said about the Kellers, right? Where they probably have a great marriage, but in, in their book, The Meaning of Marriage, they mm-hmm. had an anecdote which if people in other situations read it, you know, it was specifically about pain. Um, if I said to her afterwards, how was that? And she said, it just hurt. Tim says, I would be devastated and she would be too. But they never mentioned vaginismus. And they never said that, like, you know, they actually just figured it out and things got really good because they communicated and prioritized her experience. They didn't no, say that. They didn't say that. They actually said that you're supposed to not think about your experience yeah. and instead focus on giving. So, you know, that's an example of this worked for them, but people in very different situations reading that could have a very different interpretation. That's why it's so important not to do this from personal experience. And I just want to say, okay, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you need to be good at sex. That's not a course in seminary. No. How to make that bedrock 101, not in the curriculum. And we need to stop thinking that the pastor and the pastor's wife are the best examples of marriage in our congregation and are the best examples of parenting in our congregation and are the best examples of sex in our congregation. (laughs) Because the pastor and the pastor's wife, assuming it's a male pastor, are still human. Yeah. And you might know... huge pressure to put on them. Yeah. yeah, you might know a lot about Greek and about ancient <laughs> Roman history, and you may have a great prayer life, but she may really struggle with orgasm. And that doesn't mean that... You're it, not as good of a pastor. Yeah, and so we need to stop putting this expectation, especially on pastor's wives, that they are the go-to person to talk to about sex. Yeah. I think it's really important for every pastor's wife to be able to recognize abuse, and I'm really glad they did that so well. But then I think pastor's wives just need to have this bookshelf of resources, yeah. and, you know, and send people to Great Sex Rescue. Or if they're just about to get married, give them the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and the Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which really talk about the sexual response cycle and how to handle the honeymoon well. But you don't need to be the expert. And hopefully we become a culture in the church where the pastor's wife is not seen as someone you should be going to anyway, just because she's the pastor's wife. Yeah. Like in what job and what in what other job? Like if, if dad's a doctor, people don't come to you for medical advice. actually yeah they do actually yeah they have actually yeah that's not fair either yeah that's but it's not fair even though it happens and one of the reasons why we need to point to research is because it gets back to the question of what you were talking about earlier dad is why when there are libido differences we have to ask not just what can she do to make it better for him yeah you know but why what really stood out to me when i watched this like if you just turn off the sound Mm -hmm. and just watch it they're very embarrassed. Yeah. They really are. I felt I felt badly for them. I think they honestly tried their best. Oh, yeah. Okay? Um, but if you listen to that beginning part, like where Josh was doing the God... Gift. Gift or gross. Yeah, God gross gift. Yeah, yeah. that sex is either a God for you or it's a gift for you or it's gross. 
um, you know, they were saying about how important it is not to have shame about sex. Yeah. And yet they were obviously uncomfortable talking about it. And I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> it's like, we can't tell people not to have shame about something if we ourselves are uncomfortable talking about it. And most people are. <laughs> and I would say, too, that the problem is not that you should get over your shame to be able to talk about it publicly. Sex is something that is supposed to be private. Yeah. Sex is something that is profoundly private. It's supposed to be only between you and your spouse. And this is once again why it is inappropriate to ask pastors to speak on sex when they only have personal experience to go on. Mm -hmm. It's not inappropriate to ask someone who is a sex researcher, who is a, like a, mm -hmm. who is a psychologist even, who someone who can talk about it from a research-based perspective, then you can actually talk about it without shame, okay? There yeah. is no universe in which like I I think I qualify as a sex researcher at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there is no universe in which I would not be embarrassed talking about my personal sex life. Anyway. Even just saying personal sex life, I have, like, a, a visceral reaction. So does my dad. I'm going to shut that down. Um, yeah. No, like, there's no, like, that's thing. I talk about this every single day with my family yeah. and I still would never be able to do that yeah. because it's inappropriate that's yeah. why research is so important because we're, the goal is not to not be embarrassed by things that should be embarrassing for other people to know mm -hmm. the, the act of, of sex is not shameful Mm -hmm. But it is embarrassing to have other people thinking about you in that context. And it's inappropriate. This is this is the other thing. If you're a pastor and you're talking about your own personal sex life, you there is an element where you're now inviting the congregation to think of your wife like that. And yeah. especially in a small church, that's difficult. But there's there's one other is aspect. And this is actually your line, and I'm going to steal it from you because you haven't fine. said it yet. In this live, they talked about all kinds of aspects about sex. Mm-hmm. Very, they weren't overly explicit, like like you said, they didn't say the words, but they talked about libido, they talked about um, porn, they talked about lust, they talked about all this stuff. The only thing that they didn't really talk about was her pleasure. Yeah. That's the only place where they really did the euphemisms and where they weren't clear. Mm -hmm. And so it gives the impression to me, and I see this in so many things, that it's not that Christians think sex is taboo to talk about. Yeah. It's that they think women's pleasure is taboo to talk yeah, about. Yeah, my actual line was sex is not taboo in church. We talk about sex all the time. Good sex is taboo in the church. Yeah. <laughs> that was my actual line. Yeah. Good sex is taboo. Because it's mm -hmm. not just women's pleasure. It's it's not good sex. If he's having a good time and she's not, it's not good sex. Mm -hmm. It's one-sided sex. And that's why I think until we're able to talk about these things in broader research-based terms that are not personal, we're never going to be able to have good sex not be taboo because it is incredibly inappropriate. If Josh and Janet got up there's like, well, here's what works for us. That <laughs> would have been horrendous. But in jet, that's what it would have been because they only spoke from personal but, experience. But I do want to say they could have mentioned the orgasm gap. And they could except, have said... Except that I do not think it is appropriate to ask pastors to know this kind of thing. That is not in their job description. That's what my point is. The point yeah. is we should not be having pastors talk about this. We should be telling pastors you are allowed to not know everything. Mm -hmm. You are allowed... Like, like, there's a lot of stuff I don't know stuff about. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't know about... Uh, I mean... But I still... No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back here a little bit. I still think there really is an issue where the only thing that we can't talk about is women's orgasm. So we can yes. talk about guys' porn use. We can talk about libido. We can talk about all this stuff. But somehow we still just can't talk about women's orgasm. And that is one of the big reasons for the orgasm gap. I'm not saying pastors should talk about the orgasm mm -hmm. gap. I agree with you. The pastors shouldn't be talking about this at all. But the fact that over and over again... Whenever, like, okay, here, here's my thing. I get sent so many Instagram reels. Yeah. And so many articles about 
sex advice that goes, sex is a gift from God. Yeah. <laughs> Women, it means so much to him. And it can invigorate you to make it a priority. This is a wonderful thing that is life-giving in your marriage. Yeah. Don't feel shame about it. Embrace your sexuality. Have sex with your husband. He'll feel amazing. And that message, when the orgasm gap is not acknowledged, yeah. when it's not acknowledged that over 50% of women aren't reaching orgasm, that message doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That message only works when she's reaching orgasm. Yeah, reliably. Reliably. Yeah. And yet... That is what we hear over and over and over again. And I will die on this hill. Yes. <laughs> like, until the orgasm gap is the first thing we talk about, before yes. we talk about frequency, before we talk yeah. about how much he needs it, before we talk about how it is a gift from God even, yeah. and, and it will make your marriage feel amazing. We need to talk about how orgasm matters. Sex, when she does not orgasm, does not necessarily feel like a gift from God for her. And the more we lecture her about how sex is a gift from God, you need to embrace it. When she is not reaching orgasm, the worse she's going to feel. And so that's why it really bugs me when people can talk about everything, but not the orgasm gap. And on Friday, there was a really interesting um, article by the Gospel Coalition Canada that did this. And I think you're going to analyze that a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to try to in the newsletter. Yeah. So if you are not signed up for our email list, you need to be. Every Friday, Rebecca writes basically a whole other blog post. It's it's usually amazing and insightful and the best of the week, but it never goes, it doesn't really go online. So yeah. sign up for our email list. 45,000 people are there and you will get her um, example of the Gospel Coalition doing the same thing, mentioning yeah. frequency, mentioning how great sex is, mentioning how you got to meet each other's needs, but never mentioning the orgasm gap. Yeah, and again, I do think that the reason the orgasm gap is not mentioned is not because people don't care about women. It's because we've normalized that you talk about it from personal experience. Mm -hmm. And because his orgasm is guaranteed, Mm -hmm. there's no reason to talk about men's orgasm. Right. And so we're asking that if you talk about, if you're asking these people who are speaking from personal experience to mention women's orgasm, you're asking her to be more vulnerable than he is. Mm-hmm. And that is inappropriate, which is, again, why we need to talk from research, not from personal experience. Like, yeah. this is this issue is not going to go away until we start to looking at this from a research-based perspective. Yeah. I do wonder, now, the question is, of course, why don't we talk about it from a research-based perspective? And mm-hmm. I have a theory about that. Because we're allergic to research in the evangelical church? Other than the obvious reason. <laughs> why don't we talk about it? From re- and I think the, the fact that this was Josh and Jana mm-hmm. made me think about this, Okay. How do plagiarism and bad sex talks or like mm-hmm. half, half, ha, ha, not bad. I don't want to say it's bad, but unhelpful um, mm-hmm. sex talks go together. I think that when you're in a culture, in a church, where you as the pastor have to be all knowing and all wise. And so mm-hmm. you would never, like, you just don't really cite everything because you want to look smart because again there is no good reason not to cite other than I want it to look like it was my idea. There is no really compelling other reason. Right. Um, and you're referring, of course, to the podcast a few weeks ago yeah. where we did show several instances of Josh Howerton plagiarizing, plagiarizing in like one eight minute clip. Other people. And we will link to that podcast so you can listen to it. There's been an ongoing conversation on Twitter as well. And I will link to to my thread on that. Yeah. But if you're in a church culture where it's expected that you are the wisest, you're the smartest, and that's why you're the pastor. It's because you have this this gift. You know, you, you're you like knowledgeable. You're, you have all the answers. And the reason you get that reputation is because you keep on saying all these really wise, pithy things that you don't cite. 
wouldn't it be kind of weird to have sex be the first thing you started not being the expert on? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the yeah. thing, is if you're in a culture where you're allowed to plagiarize, then why would you suddenly go to research about sex? Wouldn't it just be a little bit weird or embarrassing if sex was the only thing that you didn't know everything about? Yeah, and and, <laughs> and the interesting thing about the Twitter conversation around plagiarism was how many pastors were defending Josh Howerton. Yeah. This is not a Josh Howerton problem. No. He's a great example of it because yeah. he's written these threads defending plagiarism. But so many pastors have... have chimed in saying, yeah, you don't need to cite your sources. And it's interesting because when I asked normal people on Instagram, 4,000 people (laughs) responded, 97% of people said, yes, he needs to cite, Mm -hmm. but pastors don't see it the same way. And so this is is an area where pastors are really out of touch with what their congregation thinks. Yeah. And so if we got into a, a, a culture in the church where it's normal to turn to experts and to let your congregation know that you are not the all knowing harbinger of truth. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like, hey, I got this advice from Andy Stanley. I got mm-hmm. this from this person, all that kind of stuff. Then it would be totally a no brainer to be like, oh, I'm going to do an Instagram live on sex. OK, well, let's look at who's talking about sex and what their research is. That would be a no brainer because that would be the cultural expectation. That's why yeah. all this stuff ties together, because integrity only helps like Mm -hmm. if there was not this expectation to talk about your personal experience your personal ideas even the the idea with um andy when he plagiarized from andy stanley's book Mm -hmm. you know he had to use an example from his own life instead of just giving andy stanley's example so with Mm -hmm. sex why wouldn't you have to give examples from your own life instead of just using someone else's example so let's sum up here we did just to let you know and we'll be talking about this more on next week's podcast. Um, but we did run this talk through our rubric. Mm-hmm. And it scored neutral. Okay? Yep. So it neutral. wasn't harmful. It's like, seriously. So it, it outscored. <laughs> it outscored love and respect for women only. The act of marriage. His needs, her needs. His needs, her needs. Every man's battle. So it scored way better than that. Yeah. It just didn't score in the helpful, in the healthy category. It scored yeah. neutral. Um, we also updated our rubric. And yeah. we, we have some news about that, which we're going to share on next week's podcast um, and talk about some of the scoring we did. But if you would like to see our rubric and our scorecard, you can go to our site and download that right now. We will have um, a link in the podcast notes. And we will also have a handout that pastors can use Um or authors can use where if you are going to talk about sex, make sure you mention all of these things and don't Mm -hmm. forget something important. We still firmly believe that pastors and their wives should not be talking or it should not be required to talk about sex and should be careful if they do. Yeah, and I do still think that a lot of it is very unfair to the pastors. And I want to say I have sympathy for the pastors in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, but if you are going to do it or if you're a writer who's going to do it, we do have just a checklist so that you can make sure that you're handling things well. So again, we just, as we, as we wrap up our marriage misdiagnosis month, we just did want to listen in on an example of how sex is currently being taught in one of the larger churches. Mm-hmm. And I hope that it was encouraging America. that so much of it was so much better. Yeah. I know that was encouraging for us. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging it, that we're at neutral, guys. We we're have, at <laughs> neutral. We've achieved Woo! neutral. <laughs> I mean, there was nowhere to go but up. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But again, we still have this misdiagnosis where we're talking about frequency and priority. Because we're focusing on personal examples rather than research as a whole. And we're ignoring women's orgasm Mm -hmm. and the orgasm gap. 
Very important stuff. So thank you for joining us on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Do take a look at our orgasm course or our libido course if one of those would apply to you. And again, our books, Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex are wonderful for st- for, for helping couples start well <laughs> and, and understand the sexual response cycle so that you don't develop that huge orgasm gap that we currently have and maybe we can overcome it. Um, earlier. So stay tuned. Next month in October, Keith and I are not going to be on the podcast much. There's mm-hmm. going to be little segments that I'm going to that I'm going to do early, but Keith and I are taking off. It is our 50th, my 50th birthday, our 30th anniversary cruise that we are taking three years late, three years late. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Kelvin. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a couple of years late for different things. So yeah. thanks, babies yes. <laughs> and COVID. And so and so um, we are we are going to take off on that. Written and we'll the podcast uh, will be in Becca and Connor and Joanna's hands. And we're going to be talking a lot about research, but what research is finding, but what our research has found that you might not know yet because you got some new findings to show you. And so you're not going to want to miss it. Yeah. And all of October on the blog peer-reviewed research and new research. Uh, It's just going to be awesome. All these new studies that have come out, just amazing. So it's a research-focused month. It's going to be fun. And we will see you then on Bear Marriage. Bye-bye.